Good morning, everyone. It's not your condition, but your position in Christ. Use your volition, your position in Christ. Well, well, the old man died. He's crucified, we're justified, sanctified, we're glorified. Realize who God's made you to be. Yeah, we're sons forever, joined together in Christ. We've been elected and protected in Christ. Well, well, the new man lives inside of me. Slave to sin has been set free. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's time to live as a child of light. Yeah, you got an option. Choose your adoption in Christ. Why be a loser? Winner in Christ. Yeah, yeah. You're in Christ. You got the victory over sin and Satan too. You're in Christ. You got the victory over sin and Satan too. So rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, yeah, you're in Christ, you got the victory over sin and Satan too. You're in Christ, you got the victory over sin and Satan too. It's not your condition, but your position in Christ. Use your volition, choose your position in Christ. We're sons forever, joined together in Christ. We've been elected and perfected in Christ. Yeah. You've got an option, choose your adoption in Christ. Why be a loser? Be a winner in Christ. All right, let me uh, hang up the guitar. I'll be right back with you.
All right, uh, good morning again to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to wrap up our study of Ephesians 1, 3 here today. And uh, just remember also, uh, once I finish these verses, uh, um, I send them, I put them up on Academia EDU immediately. Um, so when we finish off Ephesians 1, 3, there'll be the exegesis and exposition that I'll upload to uh, today uh, to uh, Academia EDU or tomorrow, one of these days. And uh, so, and also it'll be on Winston Bible Ministries. I, I send it off to uh, uh, to Titus. So when uh, he gets a chance, he puts them up there. I usually send a bunch of them to him before he, you know, yeah, let him, uh, I'll give him a bunch of them and he, that way he's not doing it every week, you know. So, um, so I do, we'll see those exegesis and exposition in PDF format on Winston Bible Ministries eventually as well. Um, so uh, we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians. And as I said before, we're going to finish off our study of Ephesians 1-3. As you can see, we'll be looking at uh, the C part, which is actually the, the, the last two prepositional phrases that end the verse, which talk about the location of the church-age believer's spirit-appropriated uh, blessings. And uh, so uh, there's those spirit-appropriated blessings where I translate in the, uh, the Greek text is the, the word, uh, the adjective, pneumaticos and because uh, so you get the word pneuma spirit but this is the adjective form of that word and pneumaticos and uh, so I was listening to the playback it's a, I was looking at the playback and I was like and the uh, it didn't, I misplaced the accent on the uh, the pronunciation of that word on the last class so for those who are following the Greek with me I apologize and uh, so pneumaticos uh, Pneumaticos is uh, the word uh, translated uh, spiritual. So uh, we pointed out that these are actually, it, I like to, it should be translated as Gordon Feed mentioned, and I quoted from him, uh, uh, God's Empowering Presence, I think was the book. And uh, so he he, he, translate, he speaks of it as uh, the blessings that the Spirit appropriated for the believer at the moment of their justification. So that's how I view it as well. A lot of people do it as well. And you know, a lot of times when they do, consider, describe the, use the word spiritual like all the modern translations do or expose it. They, they realize when they translated that, that the, that the spirit is um, responsible for these spiritual blessings. Uh, the only, the reason why they, they stick to spiritual, the, the translators, because it's, it is an adjective. So um, they're not looking at is the personality of the spirit involved, but I, it's not that. I look at it as like Fee does as an, a, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that takes place at justification which we'll be talking about his work at justification when we look at uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And uh, so this is a, a fantastic passage, which this is the beginning of the body of the letter. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 actually, as we pointed out, is a doxology. It is a triadic pattern. In fact, Ephesians 1, 3, if you translate pneumaticos like I do and fee as a spirit-appropriated blessings, uh, we see there's a triadic pattern there in verse 3, and uh, each member of the Trinity is being mentioned. So a great, great epistle, and it's a great way to start it off, this great book, and I'm really enjoying, uh, I just finished off, actually, Ephesians 1.20, the exegesis and exposition of that, and then I, I uh, for my lessons after I finished that, and so that's what I'll be doing in the afternoon. I just finished off this morning before the class began. And uh, so uh, we'll, um, we'll be talking about our union identification of Christ quite a bit, and, uh, and what's also interesting, I, I, as I finished off Ephesians 1.20 today, my, my studies, and uh, a, a verse we won't be studying until probably like three or four months from now. Uh, but it's interesting, this in the heavenlies 
is where I just, I just that verse ends with that phrase in the heavenlies, and we see it that exact same prepositional phrase in the heavenlies and um, and Ephesians one three and other places in Ephesians, as we'll see, and it's all unique to Ephesians, quite uh, interesting prepositional phrase. So um, that will be this will be this is what the uh, we'll be doing here this afternoon, and um, and remember next week next Saturday is uh, we the first Saturday of each month we do the Lord's Supper. We observe the, Lord, the communion elements. And also, for those who might not be aware of it, I, I think most people who follow the ministry know this, but uh, I'm the pastor now of Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama. I have been since before the 4th of, 4th of July. Where I actually accepted it in May. but uh, So um, moved down here in, in just before the 4th of July. So we, uh, if you're ever in the area, we're in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, the, the street address for the church, which is on our website, onestrom.org website, is 1215 Russell Street, Northeast Huntsville, Alabama. So uh, they have a, a website domain, but they don't have the website right now, and they did, but uh, it's no big deal to use mine. So if you look at Winston Bible Ministries, you'll see that, you'll see the, um, uh, it'll say uh, right in the front homepage, it'll say, uh, listen to Bible classes at Dr. Bible Church, Huntsville, Alabama, and there'll be links to where you can watch, uh, listen to the the, um, the MP3s. We don't have video yet. Um, we haven't. So, what? Uh, hopefully, in the future, we will. But um, so, we also on our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. If you look under Winston Bible Ministries, you'll see where it says Doctrinal Bible Church, Huntsville, Alabama. And each each of those classes where the recording is from the church over here, which is half mile down the road from where I'm broadcasting now. I have a little cottage down the, the road from the church, which is. Fantastic, and uh, so um, and I have my office here in, in my in the cottage. I have the house I have here that I'm renting, and um, I got a nice office down at the church. But I, I really, I think I'm going to use it like uh, Pastor Peak did before me. I think I'll use it for uh, other things. Uh, so uh, not card games. <laughs> not that he did. He did some counseling stuff there, but uh, which is how I'm probably going to use it. But. Um, Anyway, so that's uh, good to have you all uh, with us, and um, just wanted to uh, run through uh, something else I wanted to tell you guys about. Oh, we actually um, uh, keep it in prayer. I, I I got a song uh, professionally, um, as you know, most of a lot of people know that follow the ministry. I write my own Christian music, and uh, and you can just see I just played that song that I just wrote, and uh, so um, all those songs are recorded, and and you can see, go to our Wenchum.org page, and you'll see the music, and you click on that. And each, uh, each, uh, the I have a, uh, several collections of songs. Um, the first two, I think, are from are covers of other people like Stephen Curtis Chapman and whatnot, and Mercy B. But then the rest of them are all mine. And there's, I think, there's six up there. But I'm looking to do another collection of 14 songs. I usually do, when I do a collection of songs, it's usually 14. So that last song that the last song I wrote recently was for my in honor of my brother Kenny who passed away in November of cancer and uh, so I wrote a song for him and some of you have probably seen it on on face my Facebook page but uh, I'm probably going to put that into my new collection of songs and uh, so um, keep that in prayer and um, looking to start doing that but I also um, recently got uh, my one of my songs uh, don't grow weary is professionally recorded with a, a producer here kid he's, he's very talented and i met him in a coffee shop down the road from me and uh he's uh very very talented he uh, he, he did uh, he did the production on my this song called don't grow weary and it sounds great so um 
uh, he, he's uh, he actually plays on it too, so he, he's he's pretty good. And uh, I do the, the vocals, and he did a little bit of vocals with me on one part. And um, I did the harmony, I did the, the vocal and get the acoustic, and he did electric and uh, and the bass. He did. He's, he was a really excellent baseball a bass player as well. I don't know about a baseball player, but bass player. So um, you know, keep that in prayer. So I'm just trying to decide if I want to go and continue to record these uh, these songs and. Uh, in the future, so and uh, it takes some money to do that. So, but uh, not a big. It's not a big. You know, it's not a, a, an exorbitant amount of money. So, anyway, so keep that in prayer and uh, for me. And uh, I think that's about it. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. As I for the announcements, let's take a moment of silent prayers. Is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5, 18, to be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3, 16, to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for another day to study your word. We thank you for those who are joining us live or through the recordings at a later date. I thank you for this study in Ephesians. I pray it would be a blessing to your people uh, today's class and into the future with the recordings. I thank you for the technology, the people taking advantage of it. I pray it would function properly today with no problems with the recordings of the video and the audio and upload of these things uh, to our various websites and podcasts and media platforms that you've given to us. I pray you use those mightily to protect them from the evil one. I pray that you would help me to communicate uh, this passage in Ephesians 1-3 with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so I can minister to your people and the unsaved and that they can provide them, provide for them their necessary spiritual nourishment. Help me be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. And also, I pray the same for the those who are listening to me live that are your children. Help them to learn, understand, and apply what they're being taught, enjoy what they're being taught, and to concentrate. And please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. And I just pray, Father, that uh, if there's any non-Christians in the audience, I thank you for them as well, of course. And I just pray that you would uh, they'd be able to understand the gospel through the ministry of the Spirit so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. And we know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. So, Father, we pray for the service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And as I said before, the opening prayer, we'll be wrapping up our study of Ephesians 1-3 by noting the last two prepositional phrases, which I note here on the board as the C part of verse 3. These last two prepositional phrases uh, tell us the location of the church age believers' uh, spirit-appropriated blessings uh, that uh, we mentioned it in our last class. And so uh, the holy, when I say spirit-appropriated blessings, at the moment of our justification, the Holy Spirit appropriated uh, the benefits 
of our Jesus Christ crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. And he did that by um, identifying us and placing us in union with Christ and identifying us with Jesus Christ in those events in his life, his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father, which provided us our so great salvation and sanctification. In other words, our eternal relationship and fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so uh, tonight, uh, today we'll be looking at the location of these blessings with these two prepositional phrases, in the heavenlies and in Christ. So that's our subject today. So as I've been doing, let's read uh, from the, the modern translation. I usually I read from either the Net Bible, NIV, and ESV, and then also I'll read from my own uh, translation of verses, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through th uh, 14, and then look at verse three in detail for the rest of the class. So if you let's today, let's look at the, um, let's look at the ESV, uh, look at uh, Ephesians 1, 1, and we'll read again all the way to verse 14 and then read my translation all the way from verses one through 14 and then go concentrate on verse three for the rest of the class. So Paul says in Ephesians 1, 1 in the ESV, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption uh, at, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved Christ. In him, Christ, the beloved, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he, grace he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth, the millennial reign of Christ. In him, Christ, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, their justification, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who the promised Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it at the rapture, of course, when we get a resurrection body. And this is to the praise of his glory. Now, if I could, let me read my translation. And I didn't have it set up because I was looking at something before class. And uh, But let's look at my translation of these exact same verses. There we go. So it says, and from my translation, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the saints who are living in Ephesus, specifically, to those who are believers in Christ Jesus, may the grace originating from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ resulting in peace cause itself to be manifested for the benefit of each and every one of you. Verse 3, the God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For he chose each and every one of us for his own purpose, because of him alone, before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy, as well as uncensurable in his judgment. Verse 5, he did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons, because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the pleasure of his will. 
This was for the purpose of praising his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on each and every one of us because of the one who is divinely loved, Christ. Verse 7, because of whom each one of us are experiencing that which is the redemption through his blood, namely the forgiveness of our trans- transgressions, according to his infinite grace. This he provided in abundance, this infinite grace he provided in abundance for the benefit of each and every one of us because of the exercise of a wisdom which is absolute and divine in nature, resulting in the manifestation of an insight which is absolute and divine in nature. Verse 9, he did this by revealing the mystery of his will for the benefit of each and every one of us according to his pleasure which he planned beforehand because of our faith in and union identification with himself. This was for the dispensation which brings to completion the various periods of history, the millennial reign of Christ, namely to unite for the benefit of himself each and every animate and inanimate object in the sphere of the sovereign authority of the person of the one and only Christ, specifically to unite for the benefit of himself those things in the heavens as well as those things on the earth in the sphere of the sovereign authority of himself, because of whom Christ, each and every one of us, has been claimed as a possession because of having been predestined, predestinated according to the predetermined plan, namely the one who is causing each and every animate and inanimate object to function according to his purpose, that is his sovereign will, in order that each and every one of us would belong to a particular group of people, namely those who are certain of possessing a confident expectation of blessing because of their faith in and union and identification with the one and only Christ for the purpose of praising his glory. Verse 13, correspondingly, because of whom, Christ, each and every one of you were sealed by means of the omnipotence of the one and only promised spirit, who is holy, because each and every one of you obeyed the one and only message, which is truth, namely, the proclamation of the one and only gospel, which produced your salvation, specifically because each one of you believed in him. The Spirit is now the down payment of our inheritance until he redeems his possession for the praise of his glory. So as we pointed out in our last class, Ephesians 1.3 contains two declarative statements. The first is elliptical, meaning it's missing the verb amy, though it's implied. And Amy is usually translated is in your modern translations. The first is elliptical, this declarative statement. It starts it off. And then the second explains the first. And thus it's epexegetical, we call it, or explanatory. So the first is we found in my translation, and we can see in the other modern translations that we've been reading from, the first declarative statement in verse 3 asserts that the Father is worthy of praise in the sense that he possesses attributes which are worthy of praise. The second identifies specifically for the reader why the Father is worthy of praise and asserts that he is the one who has blessed Paul and the recipients of this epistle and all church age believers, of course, by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Now, the prepositional phrase that we see at the end of verse 3, in the Greek, it's prepositional phrase, entois epurainios, which is translated correctly in your translations, in the heavenlies. And it appears, as I mentioned briefly in passing it before the opening prayer, this prepositional phrase that we see at the end of verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians appears exclusively in the Ephesian epistle and nowhere else in the Greek New Testament. We see it in Ephesians 1.3. We also see it in Ephesians uh, 1.20, which in the Net Bible says, this power 
uh, the Father exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. There it is right there. And of course, I just, I said before, I got uh, before the opening uh, prayer that I just finished off the exegeting the exposition of this verse today. Now, Ephesians 2, 6 has this same prepositional phrase. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 10. The purpose of this enlightenment is that the, through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God, great translation, should now be disclosed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And then lastly, we see this prepositional phrase in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against Satan's kingdom, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. Now, here in Ephesians 1.3, uh, this particular prepositional phrase marks the first, second, and third heavens as the location in which each and every one of the church-age believers' spirit-appropriated blessings are residing. In other words, this prepositional phrase, in the heavenly realms or in the heavenlies, it indicates that each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing are located in the first, second, and third heavens. And in particular, in our, because of our union identification with Christ. So the prepositional phrase, in Christo, translated in Christ in your Bibles, is actually epexegetical because it's identifying specifically what is meant, what Paul means by the first prepositional phrase, in the heavenlies, which is ambiguous and begs to be defined. So in Christ is identifying for the recipients of this epistle and us the specific location of each and every one of their spirit-appropriated blessings, which the Father imparted to each one of them in eternity past when he elected them in Christ. So namely, these blessings are located specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, who sits in the right at the right hand of the Father. However, the implication is quite clear. It's because of their faith in Jesus Christ and because of their union identification with Christ that they received these blessings from the Father. So if you look at my translation, look at Ephesians 1.3 again with me, and I'll highlight it for you. Ephesians 1.3 in my translation says, The God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing. When did he do that? At our justification, the Spirit did. And it's in the heavenlies. This is where these spirit-appropriated blessings are. In the heavenlies, in Christ. So, in the heavenlies is ambiguous. It begs to be defined. And it's defined for us by the prepositional phrase, in Christ. Now, in Christ, by implication, uh, the reason why it's it, it actually speaking in this prepositional phrase is shorthand for the fact that Paul's speaking of our faith in Jesus Christ, the justification, and our union identification with him, and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father. That's where our ble these blessings are, these spirit-appropriated blessings. We received them the minute we had faith in Jesus, and so we got these blessings on the merit, the object of our faith, the justification, Jesus Christ, as well as based upon the merits of the uh, the merits of our union identification with him which took place simultaneously when we were declared justified through faith in Jesus Christ so in Christ the implic is telling us specifically 
where these spirit-appropriated blessings that we have received are located. They're not just in the heavenlies, but they're where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And specifically, that the implication is because of our faith in Jesus and our, and our union identification with him, which took place simultaneously in our justification, and that identification speaks of being seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's where these, loca- these blessings are in our union identification with Christ. So that's why you see me, and you see Paul doing this because Paul does this, emphasize our union identification with Christ. And when we deal when we deal with temptation to sin, we're to consider ourselves dead to the sin nature and alive to God because we've died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 6. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, the first five verses. It's because that's how we deal with temptation to sin, Paul says, is, is consider ourselves dead to the sin nature and alive to God. Why? Because We've died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. How did that happen? At the moment of our justification, when the Holy Spirit appropriated, uh, identified us with Christ in his death and resurrection. And, of course, his session at the right hand of the Father. So this is very, very important. This, this, is, uh, this book, uh, this, you'll see this prepositional phrase, in Christ throughout this prologue in verses 3 through 14. And a lot of times in my translation, I will spell it out for you. I'll say, because of... Um, because of your faith in, because of your faith in and union identification with Christ. You know, it, I'll, you'll see it in my translation. In fact, you probably recall seeing it when I read it a few moments ago. But the, the modern translations just use the phrase in Christ, which is what it means, in, it, you know, if you want to literally say it. But the translators would tell you it's related to our union identification with Christ and also our justification. But it's just shorthand that Paul uses. Like in him, in verse 13, if I'll go through it with you, verse 3. So, in Christ, okay, that's related to our faith in Christ, that justification and our union identification with him at, uh, took place at our justification through the baptism of the Spirit. In him, uh, in verse 4, you see that uh, we see also, uh, let's see, where else? In the beloved, at the end of verse 6, that's also alluding to our justification and union identification with Christ. Uh, in Christ, at verse 9, you know, you see it all over the place. In Him, verse 11, you know, in Christ or in Him. Uh, you see in Christ, that's talking about justification there in verse 12. In Him, again, alluding to our justification through faith in Christ and our union identification with Him. In Him, at the beginning of verse 13, and then, so there, I think that's the last, oh, then, you know, it believed in Him, That's He's the object of our faith in verse 13. So, this is what goes on. It's, a lot of times, it, this prepositional phrase, in Christ or in Him, is shorthand for our faith in Christ, the justification, as I said before, and our union identification with Christ, which took place at the moment of our justi- justification through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you notice in the, in the ESV, it says, in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. No, the, the word, uh, the phrase places, it's plural, okay? The NIV, they say, Praise be to the God, to God, uh, to praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice again, realms, it's plural. Uh, the Net Bible. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Notice again, heavenly realms, plural. And the Greek text is basically uh, the word there for uh, heavenlies, eronios, 
epuranios. It's, uh, it's in the plural. And so it literally means in the heavenlies. That's literally, in heavenly realms is good. Heavenly places is good. And uh, heavenlies is, is really the, the most literal of those translations that I've given you. So that is plural. Now, I'm making a point of this because in the original languages of Scripture, these, these original, the original languages of Scripture teach that there are three levels of heaven people. This multiplicity of heavens is quite clearly indicated in Ephesians 1.3 as we saw and also uh, in Ephesians 4.10 and Hebrews 4.14 where our Lord at His ascension is said to have passed through the heavens. So it says in, uh, uh, in uh, Hebrews 4.14 in the Net Bible, therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, notice the plurality of the heavens, Ephesians 4.10, He, the very one who descended, is also the one Christ who ascended above all the heavens. Okay? So, uh, there's actually three levels of heavens and and I can prove that furthermore by what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. The first and second heaven are not mentioned specifically, but the third heaven is mentioned by Paul, implying therefore there must be a first and a second heaven. So look at 2 Corinthians 12, 1, please. And I'll read from the Net Bible. 2 Corinthians 12, 1. Second Corinthians 12, 1. Paul writes, It is necessary to go on boasting, though it is not profitable. Uh, and uh, I will go, and then he goes on to say, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, and in context he'll tell you it's him, who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. All right, and then he went on to describe what he saw, which is quite interesting. He says, I know that this man himself, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. And he says it's the third heaven. And, and he heard things. So it, I, I like to do this at funerals. I, I like to bring this passage up for believers. I think it's pretty cool. It's like everybody's sitting there crying for him because you know, we're going to miss him. But it's only, as the song says, in Christ there are no goodbyes. I I actually sang that at the gravesite of my brother impromptu. I don't know what the Holy Spirit moved me to do that. And just sang the song a cappella, uh, um, that, that Mercy Me song, um, uh, Homesick. And, uh, but, um, you know, so, you know, the, you know, it's a temporary in Christ, there's no goodbyes, right? Like that song says. And, but anyways, you know, don't, don't, you know, yeah, we're going to miss him, but we'll see him soon as believers. But, uh, don't cry for them really too long because they 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 they're living it up pretty good now. You know they're not sinning anymore. They're perfected. Uh, they'll be in a resurrection body at the rapture, but they're in an interim body. But they're caught up into paradise. And look at Paul says what he heard. He says, I, verse four, I heard things. Let me get a full screen for you. I heard things too sacred to be put into words. Things that a person is not permitted to speak. Imagine that seeing that the throne room of heaven, then having to come back to this devil's world and sin and so I just wanted to take you there briefly because of that mention of the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12 2 so you can go back to Ephesians 1 3 again so the original languages of scripture teach that there are three levels of heaven this multiplicity of heavens is indicated again as I pointed out a few moments ago in Ephesians 4 10 and Hebrews 4 14 where our Lord at his ascension is said to have passed through the heavens plural oranos and that's in the plural, masculine, accusative masculine plural form in those passages. 
and also the the, the, the cinch it, uh, to uh, the coup de grace really is the first and second heaven are not specifically mentioned in second Corinthians 12 too, but the third heaven is <laughs> so logically speaking it is evident that there cannot be a third heaven without also first and second heaven so logically if you look at it the first heaven must be the earth's atmosphere which surrounds the earth the second heaven must be the stellar universe which consists of a vast array of stars moons suns galaxies and solar systems and the third heaven was also created by the Lord Jesus Christ like the first two, and that's the, where the throne room of God is. That's where the appeal trial of Satan is taking place. That's where the courtroom of heaven resides. Uh, you can see that, in, remember we studied that in Daniel chapter 7, uh, was it verses 9 through 14? And we, In fact, I was just putting this, that passage work in Daniel I did many years ago, and that passage in Daniel 7, 9 through 14, because it talks about the session of Christ, because Paul's talking about the accession of Christ in Ephesians 1, 20, where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, and of course we're in union with, identified with Christ in that session at the right hand of the Father, which has great implications for us as far as angelic conflict and also prayer. Anyway, so I saw, I, so I'm, I'm working on that. I've, I've taken my work from Daniel, putting it into that document that I'm going to put on the website for Ephesians 1, 20, and because uh, I go into discussion at like I... Um, uh, Next cursus on uh, the resurrection of Christ and also the session of Jesus Christ. In fact, both I have an article on both our, on our websites on both those subjects. Uh, just look under Christology. So again, the first heaven it must be the Earth's atmosphere. The second heaven is the stellar universe, and the third heaven is the throne room of God. Now, in Ephesians one three, the prepositional phrase "and Christo" in Christ is related to the church age believers, as I said before. Union identification with Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. This is indicated by the contents of Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, which employ the same prepositional phrase with the addition of Jesus, Jesus, at the end of it. Look at Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. And he, God the Father, raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him, Christ, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness taught us in Christ Jesus. So, we see that in Ephesians 2.6, this verse asserts that the church age believer was raised and seated with Christ Jesus by the Father through the baptism of the Spirit at their justification. Verse 7 states, as we read, that the Father did this for the church age believer in order to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of His grace and kindness towards the believer, church age believer in union with Christ Jesus. So therefore, a comparison of Ephesians 1.3 with Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7, indicates quite clearly that the Father has blessed each and every church-age believer by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing because of their union and identification with Jesus Christ, which is the direct result of their faith in Jesus Christ at their justification. These blessings are non-meritorious because they are blessings appropriated by the believer as a result of the merits of the object of their faith at justification, who's Jesus Christ. They're also appropriated these blessings by, based upon the merit they're appropriated by the believer at their justification based upon the merits of their identification with Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. In fact, as we just saw in verse 7 of Ephesians 2, this verse asserts that this identification was designed to demonstrate the surpassing wealth of the Father's grace and kindness towards you and I, the church-age believer. So, uh, we cannot say enough about 
the believer's union identification with Christ. You hear me talk about that a lot. I've written a lot of songs alluding to that. And uh, that last song I played this uh, today, this morning before class, In Christ, is one of those songs. And uh, so, um, you can't. it's all over Paul's writings. And uh, this is what, uh, you know, and the reason why that is, is it's, you know, to understand why he does that, look at Romans 5, 12 to the end of that chapter. That's where he sets up his teaching for Romans 6, where he talks about the believer's identification with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. And Ephesians, uh, Romans 5, 12 through the end of the chapter, talks about the fact that we're under two headships. Uh, the, the, prior to our justification, when we're unregenerate sinners, we were under the headship of the first Adam. We were under the wrath of God and under a curse. But the last Adam is where we are now as a result of our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit uh, took us by the scruff of the neck, we could say, at the just, at justification and put us in union with Christ and identify with us with Christ and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the Father. Those events in Jesus' life pro provided us victory over sin and Satan's cosmic system and deliverance from those things and our sanctification. So we are positionally in Christ and uh, we can experience that position in Christ by appropriating by faith our union identification with Christ and considering ourselves dead as the nature of the cosmic system of Satan and alive to God. And we'll experience it in a perfective sense, this union identification with Christ when we're in a resurrection body at the rapture of the church, which is imminent. So uh, the, this is very important. And, 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 and one of the things I would like to see in, when, when guys are out there teaching the word of God is let's talk about this. Because Paul's, I mean, it's all over Paul's writing, the huge part of Paul's writings. Um, you know, uh, it's everywhere. It's alluded to, it. Ephesians is a big part of it. Uh, Romans, you know, the whole thing about sanctification, Romans 6, 7, and 8 talks about it all over the place. Colossians 3, as we pointed out, Colossians 2 quite a bit talks about this, union identification with Christ. And so it's very, very important in Paul's teaching. And, and because Paul's trying to do this, through this uh, union identification with Christ, what he's trying to do is trying to say, show that we're, you know, God has put the human race under two men, as I said before, and we're under the last Adam, which is the place of blessing. So God doesn't look at us according to our sins and transgressions, what we did it before our justification, but he looks at us as being in Christ. In fact, you know, when we sin after our justification, we just need to confess that sin because he's not looking at us according to our old, our flesh, which was crucified with Christ, right? We died with Christ. So, you know, those things, if he's, you know, those things he's not holding against us, those sins, because Christ paid for those sins, but also because you're in union with Christ. He sees you as he sees his son. And uh, pressure is saying that Jesus colored glasses song that I wrote. And uh, in fact, I maybe I'll sing it at the end of class today. So as we noted in our introduction of this epistle, the Christian's union and identification with Christ and position in Christ is a major theme in the Ephesian epistle. And this is indicated, as we saw in our introduction, it's indicated by Paul's use of the prepositional phrase, in Christo, a Yesu, in Christ, or also in Christo, or in Him, uh, either one, and alto. Uh, those prepositional phrases are alluding to this union identification with Christ. So Paul's use of the prepositional phrase in Christo Iesu, in Christ Jesus, appears seven times in the Ephesian epistle. Ephesians 1, 1, 2, 6, 7, 10, 13, 3, 6, and 3, 21. And five times 
with reference to the believer's union identification with Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1, 1, 2, 6, and 7, 10, and 13. This union and identification with our Lord is alluded to also with the prepositional phrase, as I said a few moments ago, in Christo, which means in Christ, which occurs, as we pointed out, in Ephesians 1, 3. So, at the moment of justification, our conversion, during the dispensation of the church age, when a sinner exercises faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, the omnipotence of God the Holy Spirit places that sinner, justified sinner, in an eternal union with Christ, thus identifying the believer positionally with Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. And this results in making the believer a permanent member of the royal family of God, a new spiritual species, and eternally secure. And this is called the baptism of the Spirit, which is un, not not surprisingly, Satan's done a good job of distracting people as to what the true meaning of the baptism of the Spirit is. Because if people really understood it, they'd, it'd, be, they'd be dangerous to Satan. The baptism of the Spirit has been missed, has not been taught correctly by a lot of uh, Pentecostals and even evangelicals, non-denominational, they don't understand it. And if they, if they even know about it. And they really don't understand the baptism of the Spirit, which is what Paul talks about, and, and you, see, you see it in Romans 6, and you see it in Colossians 3. So, to be to baptism in the Spirit identifies us with Christ. It places us in union with Christ. So, if, if you could look at, um, let's say, you take a circle, and you have, let's see if I can do this with a pen. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to try something here. I see, on the fly, okay? All right, let's say, I'm going to get my pen here. All right, so here's, Oh, am I good or what? Look at that. So we're in Adam, okay? He's the first one. It's the first time I've ever tried this. So that's the first Adam. That's prior to our conversion. Here's the last Adam. Oh, man. I'm going to give myself a medal at the end. Maybe I'll give myself a cigar as a medal. For doing this, look at this. Oh my goodness, am I an artistic person? <laughs> I used to be a good artist, but I'm trying to draw with this my mouse here. <laughs> so here you are, and this is where you were prior to salvation in Adam. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit placed you right in here, okay? And you can't get out of the circle, it's like the mob. Once you're in, you can't get out of the, the CIA, you know, the firm, <laughs> which I'm sure I have. There's CIA guys all around, spies all around here in Huntsville, I'll tell you right now. And I'm not one of them, so in case they're listening in, I'm not. <laughs> I work for the Lord. I don't work for the, you know. So anyways, we're, last Adam, once you're in, you can't get out. Okay? It's eternal security. It's all you need to remember. Okay? That is a, a visual way to describe what I just, right there. There's a visual way. I thought that was, that was a lot of fun there. All right. So enough of that. We might use that again in the future. So, the baptism of the Spirit identifies us with Christ. To be unidentified with Christ... What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit, let me give you the full screen now. The Holy, it means that the, to be identified with Christ means that the Holy Spirit has made the justified sinner identical and united with Jesus. And it also means that the Spirit ascribes to the believer the qualities and characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, this doesn't mean, this is the caveat, this doesn't mean that you and I become the second member of the Trinity. And I've had, it's amazingly, I've had, it's always smart people who take the, I've had some very intelligent people say, you mean second member? No, I'm not saying the second member of the Trinity. You're not 
paying attention to what I'm saying. Listen to me. <laughs> his union is his, his, his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session. Okay. Obviously, we can't be identical to Jesus, the tr member of the Trinity. So it's his identical in relation to those events in his life. That's what we're identified with. Okay. We're in he, we're members of his body, right? And we're in under his headship. Okay. So we see to to be identified with Christ means that the Holy Spirit has made you and I identical and united with Jesus, and also means that the Spirit ascribes to us the qualities and characteristics characteristics of our Lord. However, this does not mean that you and I become the second member of the Trinity, but rather it simply means that God views us as having been crucified, died, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, and seated with him 2,000 years ago. So in other words, he looks at us through Jesus' colored glasses. I wrote a song called Jesus' Colored Glasses, and I might play at the end of class today. <laughs> so the baptism of the Spirit results in positional sanctification and the potential to experience sanctification in time and the guarantee of the completion of sanctification at the resurrection of the church. So, the baptism of the Spirit is related to sanctification. Now, positional, what do I mean by that? By positional, I mean that God views us as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with His Son. Why? Because at the moment of our conversion, justification, the Holy Spirit again placed us in union with Christ, identifying us with Christ in His crucifixion. Romans 6, 6 tells us that. We know that the old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be a slave to sin. And also Galatians 2.20 speaks of our identification with Christ and his crucifixion. Uh, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says in Galatians 2.20. We've also been identified with Christ in his death. Romans 6.2 and 7 and 8 tell us that. He says, uh, what shall we say then in Romans 6.1? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, look at uh, Romans 6 and 7, uh, 6, 6 and 6, 7. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for someone who has died has been freed from sin. So, and actually look at verse... Um, Eight. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe also that we will live with him. So here is our identification with Christ in his death. We've also been identified with Christ in his burial. Romans 6, 4. It says, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into his death. Okay. And then we also have Colossians 2, 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, you've also been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so we saw that in that passage, in Colossians 2.12, that not only the believer identified with Christ in his burial, but also his resurrection. And also Romans 6.5 teaches us that. Uh, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. A guarantee of a resurrection body, people. That's what he's telling us. Uh, also, we saw it in Ephesians 2.6, this identification with Christ in his resurrection. And also Philippians 3.10 and 11, we have a... a, a Paul uh, talking about our identification with Christ and his resurrection and also Colossians 3 1 he does it says therefore if you've been raised with Christ and the first class condition is a tool of persuasion it says if and let's assume it's true for the sake of argument you've been raised with Christ and it's a responsive first class condition in the Greek which means the audience would say of course we know this is true because we were taught this by Epiphras who's a disciple of Paul so 
We've also been identified with Christ in his session. We saw that in Ephesians 2, 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 1, as we just read, teaches us that as well. So, positional sanctification is our entrance into the plan of God for the church age, resulting in eternal security, as well as two categories of positional truth. The first is retroactive positional truth. And that's talking about uh, the death of, and burial of Christ. We're identified with him in his death and burial, Romans 6, 3-11, and Colossians 2:12 for documentation. In other words, when Christ died, the Father considers you and I to have died with him. Current positional truth is our identification with Christ in his resurrection, ascension, and session at the right hand of the Father, Ephesians 2, verses 4-6, through 6, and Colossians 3, 1-4 for documentation. In other words, when Christ was raised and seated at the right hand of the Father, the Father considers us to have been raised and seated with Christ as well. Now, that's how you define yourself as a human being, and especially as a believer, of course. You're not, you, you're somebody and you're, you're, you don't define yourself uh, by um, your sexuality. This is one of the things about homosexuality and the, the, the lesbian, you know, the, 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 the gay and the, the lesbian movement and, you know, LBG, whatever the, 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 the anachronism, anachronism is. The problem with that is that you actually, when you do that to people, you're dehumanizing them. I mean, you're defining a person by their sexuality or their sexual preference. I think it's much more honorable for the, to be, when I look at somebody who's gay or lesbian, I look at them as a, a son, of, uh, as a uh, created in the image of God. That doesn't dehumanize them. That lifts them up on a higher plane, doesn't it? I don't define them by their sexuality. I define, I do, that's one of the things I approach when I talk to people who are, who are homo, gay, lesbian. I, I mention this. I try to mention, mention this and once I get to talk to them a little bit. You know, the Bible says you're, you're created in the image of God. I, don't, I, I think it's dehumanizing to define somebody uh, by their sexuality, you know? Really, it's like the animals that have sex too, you know. It's like, we're not animals here. But it, so, so as a church age believer, you're not, you're, you're, you have, um, you're, you're, you, you define yourself based on the fact that God loves you and that you're in Christ. You're united with Christ. God views you as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. How much does he think of his son? That's how he thinks of you. That's what you define yourself as. So when you lose your money and your finances and your marriage and your kids and, you know, your job or your health, you know, or your prestige and your power uh, and you're disowned by people or whatever, you, whatever that is, you know, you get flunked out of college, you're still in union with Christ. God loves you. <laughs> and that's how you define yourself. That's, uh, that's, who you, that's who you are, really, as a believer. So positional sanctification is number one, what God has done for you and I in the past that our justification. It's number two, his viewpoint of us. Number three, it sets up the potential to experience sanctification in time, fellowship in time. Number four, it provides you and I the guarantee of receiving a resurrection body at the rapture, the resurrection of the church, which is imminent. Experiential sanctification, the second stage of our sanctification, is the function of our, our, our spiritual life in time through obedience to the Father's will, which is revealed by the Spirit through the communication of the Word of God. It says in John 17, 17, set them apart, Jesus said in his upper room discourse, his prayer to the Father. Set them apart in the truth, by means of the truth, your Word 
is truth. Set them apart means sanctify them. Experiential sanctification is the post-conversion experience of the believer who's in fellowship with the, with the Father and the Son and the Spirit by confessing any known sin to the Father in order to be restored to fellowship as a result after being after sinning. And it's maintained this fellowship by obeying the Father's will, which is revealed by the Spirit through the Word of God. So experiential sanctification, if, if you notice, I call it a potential because it's contingent upon you and I responding to what God has done for us at the moment of our justification, our conversion. So therefore, only believers who are obedient to the Word of God will experience sanctification in time. And lastly, perfective sanctification. That's the perfection of the church-age believer's spiritual life at the rapture, i.e. the resurrection of the church, which is the completion of the plan of God for the church-age believer. Perfective sanctification in other words, as if you noticed a few moments ago, I said it's a guarantee of our resurrection body and will be experienced by every believer, regardless of their response in time to what God has done for them at salvation. Or in other words, regardless of whether they've been faithful in life as a believer or not, you're going to get a resurrection body. You're guaranteed to be perfected in a resurrection body. And lastly, all three stages of sanctification refer to the process of conforming the believer into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the Father's plan from eternity past. Remember, it says in Romans 8, 28 through 30, it says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called, and those who He called, He also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He already looks at us as, as resurrected. From his perspective, he looks at us as perfected. It's a done deal for God. God's in every present now. We're in time. We're in the time, matter, space, continuum. He's in it and outside of it. He transcendent. So God knows the end of the story. It's victorious. It's wonderful. And that's why I say, you know, people say, and I have good friends who, who uh, will dissent from me, which I... I love them, and of course, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> the rapture, the future, looking forward to the future, it helps you handle your problems in time. People who've got, like myself, who've gone through a lot of trials and tra tra tragedies and tribulations and whatnot, and I've kind of let you in on some of those to instruct you. A lot of times, looking at the fact that the rapture could have at any time helped me get through tremendous adversity, knowing, and also when i you know going through problems with sin, and looking back, looking to the future, that yet God's gonna, I'm gonna, not, I'm gonna be rid of this sin nature. I'm gonna be not sin ever again, and it, it, it gives me back that joy I lost, you know, and uh, it, it helps you deal with the tra the adversities you're facing now, you know. People who go through a lot of adversity know what I'm talking about, you know. People who don't go through a lot of adversity and have had it pretty good, you know. The rapture is not a big, you know, rapture is not a good. Way to, you shouldn't use the rapture as an excuse not to deal with your problems with the Word of God. I always say that. You should use the rapture of the church as motivation to be keeping short accounts with God, confessing your sins when you, you know, because He could come back at any moment, right? And so um, that's very important. So uh, I want to be in fellowship with Him, you know? And so what I would, uh, what I always do is, you know, you try to remember that, you know, He could come back at any moment. And also, you know, look at the glorious future that we have as believers. I mean, so, th so this is, whatever is going on right now, it's going to 
it'll pass. I, like, I, I would tell myself this all the time. And for many of you know, uh, and, and from two, when I, when I moved back from Iowa, remember that was on the heels of my good friend committing suicide. I actually lost two more friends within six months of them. One, one both which was suicide. Three suicides in six months. Okay. And then I had to deal with my mother who's got dementia, who's deteriorating. My poor father had to deal with, I tried to, I had to help him. I lived with them. It was very difficult. Everybody knows about people with dementia or Alzheimer's. It can be very, very difficult. And uh, so, and then I'm, I'm, you know, my good friends, Titus and Joey Shy and Cheyenne Thompson's, uh, they used, you know, I was in their home for years and they were in my first church plan and all as well. And, and now all of a sudden I didn't see them anymore. You know, I was in Massachusetts, they're in Iowa and it was very difficult. And, uh, you know, I love them very much as, as everybody knows. So it was very difficult to deal with that situation. So, and then I'm trying to keep once the violence is going, trying to figure, okay, because God, God want me to do this, keep doing this or whatever. And so I didn't have any congregation. Then, then the, the COVID thing hits. The COVID thing hits. I've always, I didn't have, have enough problems already. Then God decides he's going to hit me with the COVID. Then I started saying, ah, yeah, that's pretty funny. Lord. Thanks a lot. So, you know, here it is. I got that going on. And so this, and there were other things I'm not going to let you in on. But so here I'm going like, you know, all I could think of is it, a lot of times I would just say, I would take a, I'd go to Starbucks, get one of those, I love those uh, what are they, honey citrus mint tea. Those will get, oh, those are so good. So I'd be drinking that and I'd drive around my car and talk to God. And I was talking to a guy in the in GBC here at lunch, uh, friend Carl. And I was saying, you know what I do is I, I would give myself, pretend I'm somebody else. I pretend I'm um, giving somebody else advice that's in my position. I would give that myself my own advice. So I would pretend, what would I say to somebody who's going through what I'm going through? That's what I would do to myself. That's called meditating in prayer talking yourselves out of depression and all that. No, people talk about depression. I, I know exactly how people feel with depression. I've had bad depression in my life too. Everybody, it's the devil's world. It was, we were talking yesterday. It's the devil's world. You're a sinner. Of course you're going to be depressed. Look at the injustice in the world. It's in the devil's world. You're a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. It's rough. It's not easy to live in this world. And uh, so, you know, yeah, you're going to be depressed. It's part of life. You know, Paul got depressed. The, the Lord was pretty depressed too in the garden of Gethsemane <laughs> and he got down on on his uh his disciples but depression doesn't mean you're you know less of a person it's just it's just part of a natural outgrow uh, natural response to what we live in you know in the, the the environment but that's going to be gone someday and any and in and, and so the momentary light affliction Paul says is going to produce in us eternal weight of glory so just try not to what I would say is well, try not to Dwell on your circumstances. Maybe you're in a bad marriage. A lot of people are in bad marriages, or you're you're not married at all and you're lonely, or you're you know your 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 kids are in trouble. They're driving you crazy. Uh, whatever. Your parents are a pain. They disown you or something. Whatever. Whatever. You you, you lost your job. Um, you've lost your health. You know, especially with older people when they start losing their health and they lose their you know, I see it with my, my family and losing their independence, you know, not able to drive a car anymore. It's very difficult. So it's easy to get really depressed and, you know, want to hang it up, you know, and jump out of a building, which, or jump off the Braga Bridge, we used to say back in the past, when I lived in down that way. But uh, don't do that. It's like, it's going to be, oh, you, this too shall pass. Uh, there was a great story, I read it, I don't know where, it was probably J. Vernon McGee. And he was talking about in the South, there was, they were going around the, this little country church and, the deep south about and asking each person what's your favorite bible passage and they came to this little black kid and he goes it came to pass 
I just love that. You know what? Because this too shall pass. The fact, whatever you're going through right now, in fact, this moment we're in now, it will pass. Just keep telling yourself because it's the truth. You're going to be perfected. You're never going to sin anymore. You're going to have joy that's beyond compression. Look at the things Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 12. I mean, God's got a plan for us and he loves us and define yourself by the fact that he loves you and he looks at you as he looks at his son. You can't ask for anything better in life. You know, you don't, you, you get your, um, your self-esteem, you know, your, uh, from your relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They love you. you, if, if you if I know God loves me. It doesn't matter what he puts me through. And I know he does it for my own good. And yeah, it's tough in this world, but eventually it's going to be gone. Like I, you know, I think about my, I lost my cousin. No, there's another, my cousin I had grew up and he was like a big brother to me. And then we hadn't talked to each other in like 20, 30 years. And I reconnected when I was 20, stay in Iowa and um, Dave Murphy. And, uh, and he passed away in the middle of the COVID thing. He's like 66 years old, something like that. And then my brother Kenny dies last, you know, last November. I was like, and all I could think of is like, oh, they're probably, they were with the Lord right now having a beer probably. <laughs> Those guys, they, they were, so they were, Dave was a funny guy. Kenny was too. Kenny was a funny guy too. But I could just say, you know, they're with the Lord right now and worshiping that throne and whatever else they're going, that's going on up there. They're having a good time. You know, they're, they're, they're believers and they're with the Lord and, you know, soon we will be there with them too and, you know, wipe away every tear from our eyes and, it just uh, hang in there and don't don't give up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson would be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.